It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and ScoreNorth.com. The long score! Benito to Kaprizov for the finish. And the power play goal has Minnesota on the board first. For Greenway, he scores! Fire, save, kept a rebound, they score! <laughs> Johansson out front on the rebound. Back across, Fiala scores! Was that Walls on no, color commentary? That was, that was Nanny. It was Lou. Lou yeah. It was Lou chuckling and, in the okay. background. Lou, he was, was just chuckling night. after the goals. Yeah. Every time there's, well, a, so, there's a goal, he's just <laughs> chuckling. They're so damn good now, you can't stop them. Right. They're, they're a combination of the 78 Canadians and 85 Oilers. You can't contain these guys. They just beat up on teams. Very Who's impressive. the Gretzky? I think it's Very probably impressive. Parisi on the fourth line has become the Gretzky. Oh, there's only one Gretzky on this team. There's only one Gretzky on this team, and he wears 97. Well, we'll do we'll do a dive. In fact, we'll, we're going to talk about what some of the other teams in town can learn from some of the uncomfortable and big boy decisions the Wild franchise has made this year. And we'll talk some Twins today. As usual, they're scheduled to play. Fingers crossed that there's no more COVID outbreaks, but they're yeah. scheduled to play a doubleheader today, a traditional doubleheader in Oakland. But, boys, uh, it's always fun when we have our show schedule ready to rock and roll. And then we get to crumple it up because Godfather and Toddfather and Peter Schrager, Mount Rushmore of mockers, come flowing in with last-minute mock drafts. And so I think, yes, executive decision here, we're going we're gonna to do the Three round for Purple Daily today. We're going to do the three round alternating Todd Father Godfather mock. So if you want that Purple Daily, find that later today. But Peter Schrager has a 2.0 and he doesn't mock lightly. Like there's a reason why he doesn't have a 4.0, 5.0. He waits for his first mock. He pounces with just a couple mocks leading up. I think he does three total and he doesn't do the first one until. You get into April. He's not one of these guys that clowns around with mocks in January. Okay? Hey, don't insult those people. Those people are very valuable to yeah, our yeah. show. Those people have Leave to make a living, Leave those people too. alone. <laughs> well, and we need them for fodder. We like uh, them. And, and so, boys, we're going we're gonna to fire this Peter Schrager mock up here, powered by our friends at Whamatech. All right, if you've got a broken-down offensive line, well, they can't help you with that. But they yeah. can help you with a broken-down phone, tablet, or laptop. <laughs> Whamatech is a trusted supplier of pre-owned cell phones, tablets, laptops, and new accessories. They source pre-owned devices directly and pass the savings on to you guys. They'll even buy your old device for cash. Local company, and every device they sell is tech certified with a warranty. 
Wamatech.com. That's W-A-M-A-T-E-K.com. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. Are I am the game. you ready? Then, for the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, here is Peter Schrager's oh, 2.0. Let's get ready to mock it. Let's get ready to mock it! Judd's like, what are they yeah, doing? Yeah, right what are you talking about? <laughs> what the hell are you talking about? Uh, we'll I get just to, want Schrager's uh, mock, okay? Judd explains we'll DX get to the, sometime. We'll get to Judd explains Degeneration X. Actually, that's next week's homework assignment. Judd explains Degeneration X. Okay. All right, Peter Schrager with the first overall pick. Jacksonville takes Trevor Lawrence. Zach Wilson to the Jets. Great pick. And now the fork in the road. Who's going to fall for the Mac Jones bait? Is it Peter? Yes. Oh, Peter. Peter has Mac Jones going to the San Francisco 49ers. Peter. So How much do you trust Peter's instinct here? So the, It's clear that John Lynch and San Francisco is doing an outstanding job, right, of putting out the subterfuge. Like, they are clearly selling this hard. They are clearly doing a very good job of getting it through to everybody. We really like Mac Jones. Mac Jones might be yeah, Mac Jones, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not buying it, but it's but it's just become crystal clear that they are going to sell this until they don't take Mac Jones with a third pick. And he, and he writes, we're less than two weeks away, and I'm still feeling Mac Jones is the guy. I'm told the Niners will have still not made their decision and continue to do their work on all three quarterback prospects who would be available, Jones, Fields, and Trey Lance. Uh, Jones had one of the greatest college football seasons we've seen in recent years, and pro scouts like him a lot. Yeah, but he's playing with like all NFL-caliber players against inferior opposing players. So yeah, I don't get it. I, I don't know. I don't know if I. I don't know if I buy this. I don't know if I also. I don't know that I buy that they would trade up to three and not know who they're going to pick. Too kind of yeah. feels like they would have made that decision before trading up to three. Yep. But I don't know. And by the way, before we get to the Vikings uh, in a few picks here. The running tally so far in all the mocks we've done across Mackey and Judd and Purple Daily, Elijah Vera Tucker, the offensive lineman from USC, and Christian Barmore, the defensive lineman from Alabama, have been mocked to the Vikings five times each. They're at the top of this list. Christian Derrissaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech, four times, and Quiddy Pay, edge rusher Michigan, three times, with like 12 other players being mocked to the Vikings at least once in the mocks that we've brought to this show. Declan's guy, Kyle Pitts, okay. going to the Falcons at four. Great pick. Sa- Sanity is back. Yeah, great selection. He's not free-falling. Yeah, future like he Hall of Famer, Kyle Pitts. In right the there. mock yep. yesterday. Yeah. We also, we can admit our mistake on Purple Daily. We should have just drafted Kyle Pitts yep. instead of trading back. But we wanted to keep trading back just to see what would happen. It was more just, a, more just an exercise. All right, the Bengals taking Panay Sewell, the best offensive tackle, at least on most teams' boards. Jamar Chase, the first wide receiver off the board at six to the Dolphins. Jalen Waddle, a little run on wide receivers here, going to the Cardinals via trade with the Lions. Cardinals continue their uber-aggressive offseason by acquiring yet another weapon for Kyle Murray. Kyler Murray. Fitzy gone. I want Fitzy to play for the There's no room for Fitzy if they do this. There's plenty of room here if he can beat out Chad Beebe for the third wide receiver. Oh, yes. God, that'd make me so happy. I don't know about that. I mean, B.C. Johnson? Uh, come on. It's a pretty tough one. All right. Justin Fields to the Panthers at eight. Oh, okay. Which Inter- would be their, interesting. It would be their dream like three weeks ago because they just traded for Sam Darnold. I th- I think they traded for Sam Darnold with the idea that the quarterbacks they want are just not going to be there. Yep. So, I don't know. Uh, we'll see. 
All right, Trey Lance going to the Broncos at nine. So now four quarterbacks in the first nine picks, George which I think is good for the Vikings if they're not going to draft a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Then it means more non-quarterbacks available for them. All right. Pat- Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys. Yep. 11, the Giants take J.C. Horn, cornerback. So a little cornerback run well, here. envious right now. Patriots trading up to 12 with mm-hmm. the Eagles to snag Devontae Smith, the third wide receiver off the board. And then the Chargers take Rashawn Slater, 13th overall. Before I get to the Vikings. That hurts a little bit. Darisaw is available. Quiddy Pay is available. Um, Tucker still who am I missing? All yes. the all the quarterbacks have gone yes. to this yes. point. Yeah. I am guessing. I am guessing that Schrag has them taking an offensive tackle, despite the, the fact that I do think that at this point in time, Zim is probably pushing for a trade back and trying to get Quiddy Pay. I'm going to go with Mocker Schrager is taking an offensive tackle. Darisaw, I think Darisaw is the pick here too. Right. Actually, you know what? I'm going to change that up. I think it's. I think he's going to go Christian Barmore. I think he's going. I think he's okay. going defense for Mike Zimmer here. Fair enough. I was closer. Jalen Phillips, oh, edge, edge rusher, rusher from Miami. Wow. Okay. I want a mock. Mock. Here's the write-up. The Vikings have a bunch of their best pass rushers returning from injury, but that doesn't mean they wouldn't take another in the top fifteen. <laughs> I think Phillips could be the guy and the first pass rusher off the board when it's all said and done. That's the type of thing I think that makes sense. Like like Jalen Phillips, isn't he the one with all the concussion issues and? Um, it just feels like something like this could happen where it's quitty pay, quitty pay. No, it's actually the Vikings have quitty pay fourth on their board or something. Sure. And Jalen Phillips is number Keep one. Keep going down. I'm I'm just curious to see Barry where the Tucker rest of the tackles fall. Yep. Elijah Vera Tucker, Christian Darius on the Lions, Ugh. Micah Parsons to the Raiders, Tevin Jenkins, offensive tackle, Oklahoma State to the Dolphins. And then from there, uh, Rashad Bateman, 20th to the Bears. That makes some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from there, not a whole lot. Quiddy Pay into the twenties. Greg Rousseau at twenty six. So, so there it is. That's your Peter Schrager two point here. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. Phil Mackey. Zim wants his defense. Damn it! Give me my defensive guys. That is the second Let time Jalen Phillips has been mocked to the Vikings. By the way, so he moves up into fifth place in the uh, overall mock standings to this point. Okay. Well, if that takes place, I. Fully will admit that I won't be surprised, but I will have some uh, real trepidation about what the Vikings yeah, are doing. Not, I would not like that. I don't. I think a lot of yeah. people won't like that. No, I wouldn't like. That. I kind of feels like they could trade nervous. back. Yes. It kind of feels like they could trade back and get that. But if the Patriots have already traded up, you know, Washington seems like the major target to to trade with. In the in, I think they're at nineteen, right? Mm-hmm. So if Darisaw is there, though, if you're Spielman. Don't you have to tell Mike, Mike, you got to sit down and be quiet right now. I'm taking Darisaw. Like, I'm I'm not saying he will. I'm not saying he will. I'm just like, if that player is there, don't you got to take that player? No, but but let's let's play this out, okay? Because I agree with your logic, which is they need offensive linemen. It's been just pass blocking has been a chronic problem for them for years. But let's say Christian Darisaw is the third-ranked offensive tackle on their board, and Jalen Phillips, for instance, is the number one pass rusher on their board. What's the prudent thing to do? Forget about team need for a second. If you're just looking to take the best, highest upside player available in the first round, and you've got the number one edge rusher on your board sitting there at 14, like I, I can get with that logic, 
even though it doesn't help fill the biggest need right now, which well, is offensive line. I guess my question then to come full circle about Darisaw would be this. Is Darisaw an 8- to 10-year guy? Like, if you say to yourself, there's three guys here, but they're all damn good, right? Like, they're all really good. And if we draft him, because I'm not, I'm not saying that the Vikings should just take an offensive tackle for 2021. That's not my point. That's yeah. that's a bad idea, because that's where you force a pick. Don't like that. Mm-hmm. My point is, if you look at Derisaw and you say, he's the third guy on our board, but all top of the top three potential offensive tackle prospects are eight to 10 year guys. Then I say, take him. You need help there. And, and I, I'm going to go by Phil, what I think are the toughest positions to find. Like they're expensive. They're tough because a first round pick again, I've got five years of control there. So if, if I think that Garrison is not the best, but he's within that group, and I've got five years of control on the cap, basically, on his salary, that's going to make it very tempting for me. I think the biggest question with Jalen Phillips, and, I, and he, I'll just read this from uh, withthefirstpick.com. The problem is that Phillips could be one hit away from being out of college football forever. Each successive concussion makes it easier to get another, and Phillips has already had three concussions in his football career. He has already retired once due to those brain injuries, <laughs> An argument can be made that the NFL doesn't really care all that much about player safety, although a team sinking valuable draft capital into a player with a significant injury history is com- is a completely different story. Um, so that's the thing. It, it it seems like a lot of teams may have, just based on reporting and, and looking at mock draft, big boards and whatnot, that Jalen Phillips, if you, if you took out the concussion history, that he could be the highest upside pass rusher in the draft. Sure. But how much do you want to commit in terms of draft capital None. to a guy that might have might get one hit zero and be done? And then you're, and by the way, your other edge rusher just is coming off missing a full season with neck surgery. Yeah. So I the more you think about it from that perspective, I just don't know how much sense it makes to draft him with the 14th pick. Now, if you trade back, let's say you trade back and you pick up an extra second round pick, you mm-hmm. strong arm Washington into giving you a second round pick to move up. To and, and and correct me if I'm wrong. I think Washington has a second round pick. We can double check that. But but let's say someone trades up with you, you get a second round pick. I would be more inclined to take a risk on Jalen Phillips if I also had the backup of like a second round pick and two or three third round picks, depending on the trade. Right? You know what? But if he if he's my only pick in yep. the first seventy plus picks, I'm a little nervous. About you know that. what? I am not drafting in the first round a guy with concussion problems. There's no way. I can't quantify it. Like with a knee, I can stick him on a table, right? And I can bend his knee back and forth and I can say, hey, you know, this knee seems pretty stable, right? Yeah. Or like an ankle. Um, concussions? You're guessing. Like, like, if you think about all of the work that teams do to sit down with prospects and talk to them, right? And they go through their histories and they go through their Twitter accounts. Like if you think about every... Why on earth would you ever take a guy with, with a concussion problem? It's the one thing you have no chance to quantify. Yeah. Like you're you're lost. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's hold tough. on a second here. I'm che- I'm checking out the second round because I I did want to check on Washington because that's a really good question because that does make the, the most sense to me as well. Yes, they are. They have the 19th pick in the second round, which is 51 overall, right before Chicago. Okay, yeah, we'll take that. So I'll yeah, take that one for sure. Just stuff. 
just float that one over. If you if you know what it could be like if Trey Lance falls or something. I mean, if Justin Fields falls for sure, then you're taking phone calls at 14. I mean, I would just draft one of those guys at 14, but I don't think the Vikings would. I think they would trade back. If it's a quarterback that falls, I think you could strong arm a team like Washington into giving you that second round pick. Probably. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to we're going to do we're going to be doing daily mock draft updates on Purple Daily from this point the next 9 days, so be sure to check us out. And you know what the good news is? The good news is for Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman, if you whiff on that 14th overall pick, means you're going to have a lot more time for golf in 2022 because you are going to be unemployed. And uh, if you have a lot more time for golf, I would recommend PXG Minneapolis. Before you head back to that ranch, is it Kentucky that Mike Zimmer has the ranch in? Yeah, Kentucky. Kentucky, right? Yes. So before you head to Kentucky, if this draft pick doesn't work out for you after you've been relieved of your duties... Just stop at PXG Minneapolis. It's a golfer's paradise. The new Gen 4 golf clubs have landed. Drivers, fairways, hybrids, irons. These are PXG's flagship clubs, and they will help your game. You can even look better with the PXG Spring and Summer Apparel, which just arrived in-store. PXG Minneapolis in Southdale Center, and find out more at pxg.com slash Minneapolis. (laughs) Uh, Boys, last night, the Wild uh, took care of business once again with a 5-2 victory. This is their fourth straight victory and uh and they're this is also their uh third time in four games they've scored five goals they had an eight goal outburst about two weeks ago against Colorado so the the goals are coming in bunches and uh, Zach Parisi actually Zach Parisi played the second most uh he had the second highest time on ice of the month of April for him just an exhausting 13 minutes and 34 seconds on the ice last night Luke so Aaron. we were texting we were wow. He's Lou Gehrig. The work. <laughs> just the iron, the iron horse, the, the iron horse, the man. iron horse, man. It's unbelievable. And so we were all texting last night during this game, and after the third period, he only had eight minutes logged or eight mm-hmm. and a half minutes or something like that. You know, how many teams can you think of that have made the uncomfortable decisions that the Wild have had to make this year, specifically with Zach Parisi and moving him from a high-profile, essentially team leader role on and off the ice to this complimentary. I mean, he's not even on the power play shifts anymore. He is. He's a basically fourth line winger. Yeah, he's done a nice and, job, but that's what he is, and it's working. The team is playing better because of it. Um, but in terms of locker room dynamics and just a guy that's been one of the best players in franchise history, it's it's a big boy uncomfortable decision. And so, I guess I want your guys' thoughts as the uh, the 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 Judd's Hockey Show tandem. Your thoughts on how that move is working. And also, what can some of the other teams in Minnesota learn from the uncomfortable decisions the Wild have had to make this year? So the, this is a great conversation because it's not a simple one, but it's it's extremely intriguing. And it occurred to me during the course of the game last night in watching it that this is, and by the way, it's not done yet. Like, there's more changes to come. They're they're not a complete team. They're They're a good team, but they're not a complete team. This is as um, encouraged as I've been about this uh, team in years. But the interesting thing about this and the dynamic from the pivot that this team has done quickly compared to like the Wolves or or the Twins have had success, not in the playoffs, obviously, but the last two years. But what the Wild has done is they have found the sweet spot with their GM and Bill Guerin because Bill went to Pittsburgh and started his executive career. And analytically, he had a definite say. Like his job was partially to digest these things at the time and pass them on 
to the GM and, and have a working knowledge of of basically the underlying stats, which have become a big d- deal in the last few years, you know, last 10 years or so in hockey. But what's interesting about Garen and what the what the Twins lack, at least with Falvey and Levine, and what the Wolves lack for sure with Gerson, is Bill Guerin also has in, in his repertoire, Phil and Dex, the mix of a guy who knows what it takes to win. He won two cups as a player. He was a captain. So so when we talk about the twins and, and like this all makes sense, but the chemistry things are sort of weird sometimes. And like, what are you doing with people? Like, like you're not empowering them. Bill Guerin knows and has a knowledge of what that looks like and what that takes, which to me is a really interesting step because, you know, Gerson or Falvey or, or Phil can tell you what they know about the sport or me or Dex, but like, we don't have that underlying working knowledge of the intangibles and the chemistry. And I'm going to give you one thing that occurred to me that Garen and the wild has done a spectacular job of that. The wolves are lacking completely. And it's a blind spot. A veteran presence of a player who doesn't have to be great, but he has to be good. Like you can't just stink. Like you can't not play, but a veteran player that they can put out there who knows how to win has been around around players that have won. Butler was bad because he didn't care about people. Like Jimmy Butler just was there to like great player. It's it's happening a little bit in Miami again right now. Yeah, I don't know if exactly. you saw his comments. And a couple Hero nights has ago. turned into a mess now, right? Yeah, like he's a. But the point, Sorry, real quick, real yeah. quick J- J- Jimmy Jimmy basically told the media the other night that. This team needs to play bully ball again. Get yeah. back to playing bully ball. Like that's the only thing he knows. Yeah, he and that, play bully ball. but that's not. But that's not what teams really need. Like it's fine because he's good. But the point is, imagine if Cat and Ant had a veteran guy like like let's just say a good a, a really solid Taj. Like if Taj came back here and was not fried completely and could still play. Because I mean that guy knew how to win. He was a smart player. And and in Benino and Cole, who uh, Garen traded for um, Nick during uh, this the time between the break and the start of the season, and he traded for Cole at the start of the season. Between those two guys, they've won cups. Like they know what this looks like. They can lead. And if you wear the C or the A, who cares? The important thing is. Do you have the ability to show the way? And that's the step that I think the Wild has geniusly taken that not all executives who probably didn't play the sport or have success understand that part of the chemistry. Yeah, it's uh, I, I love your point about a guy who understands the human side and like like the dynamics. What does a championship dynamic look and feel like? What does the leadership structure need to do? How do you empower the young players in the right way, right? What's the right blend of just forget about analytics and data for a second because that's important too, but what does the room need to feel like? What's the hierarchy? What's the environment like? Uh, Billy Guerin understands that. Now, he was winning cups in a different era. Like you're talking about about a different generation of young players, and so there is 
there are differences in the way that you need to handle young players now compared to when Billy Garen was winning cups as a player. But um, but then you also have to have you can't you can't be a master of the human element and then ignore all analytics too, right? Because yep. then that's how you wind up with that's how you wind up with Zach Parisi on the top line at age thirty six instead of on the fourth line, right? So it kind of feels like Billy Garen. Im- understands and embraces both enough as he's gone about building this thing. He's he clearly pays attention to the types of leaders you need in the room. And he also has a sense for, okay, Parisi is considered a leader, but he's not good enough analytically to play as a top six forward anymore. And so we need to make that uncomfortable decision and pull him over here. And and there are I've got I got a, I've got three things, but I want to let Dex chime in, but I have I have one thing that each team <laughs> can learn from the Wilds' uncomfortable Parisi decision for sure. But, Dax, you chime in. A, a few things that stand out. Number one, from his playing days, I mean, because he was a decorated player. Um, he was also, he's he's been on trades to both sides. So I believe it was Scott Burnside of the Athletic did a great piece on him like a month ago, close to the trade deadline, his experience as a player and as an executive who has been both on the forefront of trades. And in 2007, Garen was moved to San Jose. The San Jose Sharks were were a very good team. The West, kind of similar to the Wild right now, a team that could possibly compete for a cup. And Bill Guerin was the last piece uh, to push them over. Well, Guerin gets there. It's uncomfortable. He's pressing. He's trying to be that big acquisition and, and rise up to the situation. And it kind of it didn't work out. And he and he recognized that. So after that, he goes to New York, and the Islanders are a bottom feeder. But then he goes back to the Pittsburgh Penguins. He gets he, he approves a trade to the Penguins, who are on the cusp of winning an, another cup, and he accepts his role. He's now at the end of his career. He knows he doesn't have to press. He knows he doesn't have to be this dynamic player, but he can be someone in the room that really, really matters. And I think he has the self-awareness that I'm not just going to pull a Chuck Fletcher and start making trade, 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 trade to get us one step over the hump, and it might cost things in the room, and it might cost us draft picks and prospects down the line. He's not going to force a trade like that. Um, But I also think he knows when the – he was here – he's only been here for, what, two years now, and he Mm. knows what doesn't work in that room. So he was able to break up the core. You trade Jason Zucker, a, a darling in this state, right? Everyone loves Jason Zucker and what he means on and off the ice. He wasn't afraid to trade him, gets a first-round pick and a top prospect pack. He also gives out reasonable contracts, what we've seen so far. He gives out a three-year deal to Cam Talbot and a goal, in goaltending, one of the most volatile positions. I mean, like, look at Florida right now with Bobovsky, with, with Sergei Bobovsky. Like, he is a mess right now, and they're locked in for a seven-year deal. Cam Talbot's locked into a three-year deal making chump change. Like, he's not going to make a, a, a forced decision just because he wants to. He knows what it takes to win as a player and as executive, and he also surrounds himself, too, with the right people. Like, I think I know him and basically uh, Dean Evison work hand-in-hand with how they want to, this vision to work. This isn't, isn't just Dean pulling all the puppet strings. It's definitely Garen behind the scenes. I mean, he had the gall to scratch Zach Parisi earlier this year. That would have never happened in past regimes, and that's I think totally influenced by what Bill Guerin brings. Because you've got to be the, the most important thing is is twofold. You have to be willing to hurt feelings, but you have to have the credibility to do that as well. So if I just scratch you and I'm some executive who, who looks at spreadsheets, players are like, "Screw you!" But yeah. if I've won cups and I'm your boss, they're like, "Whoa." And, and Phil, I mean, this goes back how long now that I um, harped on and talked about and complained about the clear lack of accountability with that team. 
Like there, yeah. you know that that room. It's not a stretch to say that that room had run amok, and nobody until now basically said no. This isn't how it can work, and and they brought in people to change that. It hasn't really been widely reported and fleshed out because these guys are fan favorites, and the acquisitions of these guys, Parisian Suter, um, really helped turn the franchise around for the last eight years. Like they've become a relevant franchise in part because of those huge free agent signings. So overall, yep. they've been great signings. But those guys have also sort of presided over a little bit of a Mean Girls vibe behind the scenes that might, you know. The minute that Mike Yo starts to sputter, instead of rallying around, it's kind of like, eh, eh kind of done with him, right? Like they, they're they're very they're they're very quick to sort of create um, a divide sometimes behind the scenes when that's not the way that you go about building a great culture as a leader. Mm-hmm. I don't think those guys have always been great as leaders behind the scenes, right? From and, things and that, that's a tough that job we have heard, but I mean, and that's a tough job, and, and not everybody is meant to lead. A lot of pe- people who are very talented at what they do, but the problem is, if you're good, you're looked to, and that and that's an I- issue in sports because you shouldn't necessarily be looked to to uh, control things. Um, do you got? I mean, do you guys think for one second that this team, which is which is a good team, I, I feel like they're they're exceeding what we expected. Do you guys think for one second that it's an accident? that Koivu is gone and all of a sudden everything is, is changed because things are changed. Mm-hmm. No, Be- I, I don't think so. Because people, because he also people, just wasn't that great of a player the last couple of years. No, he too, wasn't. So that added but, to but there's a, but there's a difference between being a stoic, quiet guy who commands respect and just being sort of a cantankerous SOB. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like there's a difference yeah. there. And, and now They've got guys who get their roles, and they've got guys who know. I mean, Koivu's problem was he tried to lead without the credibility. It's like, so you were good in Finland. Okay, that's awesome. Like, have you won cups here? Have you done? And people would say, oh, who cares? That's not a big deal. I'm telling you right now, it is. I mean, if you work with a person who's talented and think that they know everything and they haven't done crap and they're but 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 they're like, oh, you got to listen to me. Eventually, mm-hmm. you're just going to say, screw you. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a problem. It's true. Credibility matters. Reference yes. points matter. There's a big difference when when Joe Torrey back in the day walks into the clubhouse as the manager of your baseball team. Yep. You perk up a little bit. OK, he was a great player yep. and then he became a great manager and he perks up and it's. You know, as opposed to like when Mike Yo walks into a room and he was an assistant, I think, on a team that might have won a Stanley Cup in Pittsburgh, like in 09. I can't remember yeah. the timeline for him. But yes. like, you know, all right, you weren't a great player that made it in the NHL or anything. It just makes it more of an uphill climb. And that's not necessarily a knock on Yo. It's it's just a reality. Um, and Billy Guerin seems to bring seems to bring. I'm not going to go all in yet right. because this is just it's a pop up season and we'll see. And he's still fairly new here, um, but it seems like he has struck the right tone strategically, analytically, mm-hmm. and from a roster building and leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Um, so thrill throw quick here because the, the, re- the real uncomfortable move, in addition to just saying goodbye to some key veterans, but bumping, scratching Zach Parisi a few weeks ago and then moving him, and Evison is in this conversation too, but moving him to the fourth line is 
it's it it shouldn't be shocking because he's 36 years old and he's just not the player that he was when the Wild signed him. Like this is what happens when you get into your mid to late 30s. But it is kind of shocking. And then oh my God, Zach Parisi has been demoted to the fourth line and was scratched for uh, making a selfish play, extending his shift. Right. So what are some other uncomfortable potential big boy moves that other teams in town could make? And I'm just going to throw these out and get you guys thoughts. Timberwolves. D'Angelo Russell has come off the bench the last eight games. The Wolves are three and five. They've gotten blown out a few times, but he provides to me better value off the bench. I'm I'm still not convinced, even though Gerson Rosas came on this show a couple weeks ago and said, hey, you got to ignore the way that D'Lo and, and Edwards look together under Ryan Saunders. You got to ignore that because Chris Finch is going to use those guys better together. I still don't think the best strategy is putting those guys out there together all the time. I think you have to be selective. And so one guy should start. The other guy should maybe overlap a little and come off the bench. D'Lo is not a complete player. He's a good scorer who can get hot for some games and he can distribute, but he's not like a 40-minute horse of a James Harden-type player. He's yep. just not. I think his value is off the bench, potentially long-term. Mm-hmm. So the big boy move would be once this injury grace period, uh, and maybe he comes off the bench the rest of the year and they can just frame it as, yeah, you're coming off knee surgery, we'll just bring you off the bench, but... Would you stick to that long-term with a max player who came in here thinking he was going to be the man and bring him off the bench? That would be a big boy move. Would I stick to that? Yes. Um, I also think that there has to be a question beyond that asked, which is, is D'Lo the right fit for this team long-term? And I'm telling you, if you look at this right now, so Cat is a really good player, right? Like, he's got his faults. I get that completely. He definitely, he definitely is not the captain that he perceives himself to be of this team. But Carl Anthony Towns is one of the top most gifted players in this league. Correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. That being said, I will a- ask you this, too. Why can't the Wolves 2021-22 be what the Wild is this year? Why can't they be? Like, they've got talent. Cat mm-hmm. uh, is talent. Ant is talent, okay? Mm-hmm. So, like, there's no reason why, and we, we can all laugh because they're the Wolves as much as we want, but there's no reason why you couldn't, you can't look at that roster, and if you feel that you have the right coach in place, look across town at this team and say, we've got talent too, we need to make the right moves, we're probably going to, in doing so, kick some people off. We don't care, because if we get this right, there is no reason why we can't contend for a playoff spot. And I think you need like I, the idea of Rubio coming in as the veteran glue. And Ed, and Ed Davis was also supposed to be that, but he just isn't good enough anymore. He's just he just doesn't play. Yeah, um, he was. Yeah, guy, the idea the of Rubio made some sense, but I think you need someone who's a better defender. I, I think if you brought in the right grinder defender, yep. wing type player, someone that can come in and just be like. A veteran, I, I think of PJ, the Wolves tried to get PJ Tucker for like three years. And I mean, he's chasing championships now, rightfully so. So I don't, I don't, I don't even know what his contract status is. He got, just got, I think I got traded to the Bucks this year. But like that type of a dude that comes in and says, I'm a three and D guy. I'm a wing player. I'm a combo guard. And I'm like, I know what it takes to win and play at a high level and screw everybody. <laughs> like, so, but, but not in a Jimmy Butler way. Right. You know? Exactly. Um, on the twins front, Judd brought this up a couple weeks ago, but. Since 2018, Miguel Sano is batting 217 with a 311 on base percentage. The only value he brings is 
two weeks once in a while where he gets hot. And he's not he's not a great defensive player. Mm-hmm. Doesn't hit for average on base. He doesn't run the base as well. Like he's hurt a lot. Uh, the big boy decision would be either just moving on from him altogether and just sort of giving up on the idea that he's going to be this breakout star that you thought he was going to be, or moving him to a part-time role where he's not an everyday, where you're you're not putting him in against high-velocity pitchers that he struggles with. Coming to terms with Miguel Sano as a part-time player would be a, a I think a wild equivalent for the Twins. And then I'll give you I'll give you the last. I love I love that one. Yes, one thousand percent. Do it tomorrow. Do it today. <laughs> Do it today and against then, Oakland. The real big boy move in town would be moving on from your good, not great, your comfortable starting quarterback, Kirk Cousins, at some point. That if you really want to win a championship, if you're the Wild and you really want to win a championship, I'm sorry, but Zach Parisi can't be on your top line. Can't be on your second line. Yep. He's got to be on your fourth line or off the team at this point. Yep. If you want to win a championship, Kirk Cousins can't be your starting quarterback for that kind of money. Mm-hmm. You, just, like, you just can't be. So what's the big boy decision? You're going to just keep pretending like, well, you know oh, no, we can. We'll just I'll yell, tell you what it scrap is. heap another left no, guard. No, I've got it, and, and it's not a player. The big boy move is Spielman calls the head coach in and says, as of today, if you are going to coach this team, you're going to coach the entire team. And that conversation should have happened two years back, at least if not three years back. That's the thing. And look, Mike is really good at coaching Defense, and that's awesome. And if you want to go coach defense, there's jobs for that. It's called defensive coordinator, and you can have one because you're good at that. But if you're going to be coach of this team, you've got to coach the whole team. And that does not mean saying, well, I do coach offense. I love to run. You love to run because you're trying to keep your defense off the field, okay? So I really think the big boy conversation in Egan that should have taken place at some point, and I don't think it has, was that was we need to be like once you sign Kirk, you're you're in on offense. Like this is not a hand the ball off and let's hope everything goes good. This is a no. We pivoted. You pivoted. You pivoted. And one of the most important people that works for your team didn't pivot with it. And my question is why. And I really think the knockdown drag out that should have taken place was that was Mike. We're going to draft tackles. We are going to. We need to get better immediately in places that are going to benefit our offense. And in fact, we trust you so much to coach defense that we're going to get good on that side of the ball because that's where the priority is. That would be a big fight, I'm sure, and it wouldn't be pretty and it wouldn't be smooth, but that would be my big boy conversation, which is your business card says Mike Zimmer, head coach of the Minnesota Vikings, not head of the defense. Don't you think that ship is kind of sailed? It's though, gone, at this but point, that's my that, point. Like, but I'm talking he's about a, he's a defensive coordinator who kind of dabbles in being a yes. Head coach. But I'm talking that's about he... eating an uncomfortable conversation for breakfast. PJ Flack, <laughs> <laughs> do you pour milk on those uncomfortable conversations? A little, little sweet. You milk? know what I do? Sour milk, old milk, because I'm, oh, so no. I'm so oh. tough. I'm so tough. I'm so tough. Clumpy I, milk. I eat clumpy milk on my cornflakes just to really just to chew through it. <laughs> but I mean, God. Um, I'll give you a Twins one, though, and it's a small one. Reprioritizing how you see, especially your starting pitchers and the expectations. And and it shouldn't be, this should not be tough, but it clearly is. But reprioritizing so that if Barrios is lights out, I don't just apply my philosophy to him. Or Pineda. Like, and that, this shouldn't be a discussion. 
but it's become one. And it's obviously tough because they, they've just got their, their thought processes of, of how starting pitchers should work and pitch counts and stuff, Phil. But I really do believe that for the ultimate success of this team into the playoffs, that is a conversation. Is there any reason today, for instance, if he's going well, that he can't just pitch all seven innings against Oakland unless his pitch count's at 100, you know, no. after five? No. Like, I, I, my, my, my goal would be going into that game, I wouldn't tell him this because I don't want to put extra pressure on him, but you're like, no, we're, the goal would be that he pitches a, a seven-inning complete game in that doubleheader game just to give the bullpen some relief, too, going into uh, to more games the rest of the week, so... Oh, those are some those are some things that maybe maybe teams like can it. learn from the wild making their their big boy decisions. Presented by our friends at uh, Federated Mutual Insurance Company. So Federated's been helping business owners for over a hundred years in the state of Minnesota. Uh, they're based in Owatonna. They're one of us. And just think, if you're a business owner, how helpful it is when you've got risk management and you've got just sort of a guiding hand uh, that can help make your business as successful as it possibly can be. Also worth noting, Federated recently launched MyShield, the online client destination for risk management resources. MyShield has tons of resources that you can check out at federatedinsurance.com. And remember, at Federated, it's our business to protect yours. All right, boys, we're talking twins every day on this show. You want deep dive, break it down twins discussions. The Mackie and Judd podcast feed and the Scornorth YouTube channel are the places for you. Um, also, we, you know, we get asked, you guys, are you guys on the radio still? Yes, we are on the radio from 5 <laughs> to 6 o'clock every single weekday. Scornorth Radio, AM 1500 in the Twin Cities. The Scornorth app and scornorth.com are also central hubs for everything we do. And a shout out to our friends. Brad Cole and David Branstad, the 10,000 Swings Minnesota Golf Podcast is uh, off and running over the last month. I joined it for a master's breakdown last week, which was a blast. But if you're a golf nerd, you're a Minnesota golf nerd, uh, they're breaking down PGA Tour events every week, fun news, and also local happenings. 10,000 Swings, Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. Blake Barrett's super agent, Blake Barrett's local agent of Adam Thielen. Uh, I think Rashad Bateman. I think he has Bateman yeah, too. I think you're right. Uh, he will join at 10,000 Swings this upcoming weekend. Boys, we're going to do a player A, player B comparison here for Talking Twins. All right? Mm-hmm. Player A, no longer with the Twins, but player A was an infielder who, as a twin, compiled a mm. 648 OPS. And okay. uh, that is about... 25% below the average Major League OPS. He was a, a very, very poor hitter uh, who really didn't hit for much power or anything, but he could play some pretty good defense, okay? 648 OPS. Okay. Player B has an even worse OPS over the time span that we're looking at here. A, for, so 648 was the first player. Okay. 618 OPS for this guy. Just a disaster offensively. So player A is Nick Punto mm. in his career as a twin offensively. And player B is Jorge Polanco since the start of the 2020 season. Yep. He has been a worse offensive player than Nick Punto was. Credit to our friend Michael McGivern for sending me this nugget on Twitter, by the way. What do you make of that? Well, in 2020, we found out that Polanco was hurt. 
so I was I was willing to go down that path of well he's banged up again and he plays through it you know which, which is I guess a credit to him to try to play hurt because he's trying to stay on the field and it's not going well but but the more I see him you know what I think I, I think the first half of 2019 which was great was a really fun flash in the pan. Um, and I don't think that Polanco is a terrible player, but I also don't think he's great. And and I could I could see him being replaced by a rise here at some point in time if if uh, Donaldson can stay healthy, obviously at third base. I could see him being replaced by a rise at some point here because I'm beginning to think that Polanco. Polanco teased us, and it was fun, and he he was an all-star and spent uh, part of that year in the MVP discussion. But I think that this is probably closer, unfortunately, to the real Jorge Polanco than that was. That's what I think of that. There's also the elephant in the room of he got popped 80-game suspension in, I think it was March of 2018. So he missed the entire first half of 2018, came back, was pretty good the second half of that season. Um, the timing kind of works out to where his career might have been a little bit in the balance after 2017. He just wasn't quite panning out the way that they had hoped. Mm-hmm. Get on some supplements that might help you and then come back and perform pretty well at the end of the 2017 season. Then he gets hit for 80 games, plays pretty well when he comes back, and then explodes at the beginning of 2019. Was a legitimate MVP candidate, batting like 340 in the first half. Even the second half of 2019, he was okay. He he batted like 270, got on base a little bit. He was hitting some doubles. He wasn't a disaster in the second half of 2019. But his performance definitely took a huge dip from the first half and then took an even further dip in 2020. And I think what I would be most nervous about with him, he's a switch hitter, okay? You're going to face mostly right-handed pitching. You're going to face, like... I want to say like 70% of the pitching you face in the major leagues is right-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. So as a switch hitter, he's going to bat mostly left-handed against right-handed pitching. And here's the problem. This year, he is 4 for 36 off right-handed pitching. <laughs> Last year, his OPS against right-handed pitching was 200 points lower than it was against left-handed pitching. He batted 227 with a 287 on base percentage against, against right-handed pitching in 2020. And so he has become over the last couple of years, which is about 70 games sample size, unplayable against right-handed pitching offensively. What are the combined stats of the right side of the infield right now that you bring this up? If you put it, it, it directly yeah, that, in front of yeah, me right that, now, that's a pretty, if not you good, put, not good. If you, don't put, you just like answer if that, you, if not you put, good. it's more a rhetorical question. If you put Sano and Polanco's stats together, you probably get get a guy who belongs in independent baseball right now. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. I mean, Miguel Sano is at one sixteen. Right. Well, with you know what this five seventy seven. You know what OPS. this comes to, Phil Mackey. This comes. This comes to eating more difficult conversations for breakfast if you're Rocco. So let me help you. What, let me get. Let me give you the game plan. All right, Miguel Sano platoons more now you get you get Kirloff up here he can platoon some at first base he can play left too and by the way I'm playing him he might get off to a rough start I personally don't care I'm playing him okay if I'm going to play him and hopefully fingers crossed Josh Donaldson at third base stays healthy right Luis mm-hmm. Arise starts to play second base more for me 
Because, like, you can't. This is the thing about the Twins. They the, they have these runways for guys who fall, who basically crash and burn for way too long, I think. Way too long. I'm not saying Polanco well, gets left right now. Signed, but he's com- on like a seven-year contract right yeah. now, too. Yeah, but he's like, he's he's it's cheap. I don't care about that. Eh, it's not super cheap. Uh, it's, it's cheap enough for me. He makes 4.3 this year, 5.5 next year, 7.5 in 2023, and then you can right. get out in 2024. Okay, I'm not right, that. That's fair enough. You, you can pay it back. I'm not that concerned about that. Right. I'm not concerned about that. And I'm not saying yeah. and, and, and I'm not saying demote him or trade him right now. But again, we're talking about what are you willing to do that might ruffle feathers for the good of your club, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I've got the solution here. This, this isn't as... Again, it's people have to be able to stay on the field. But if they do, the solution is right there. You've got it. Here's another question off the offense, for instance. Right? So the the, the Bomba Squad two years ago, they were the they, they were the Bomba Squad. I'm sorry, the what? They set they set the major. The Bomba Squad record. came and defused the Bomba Squad. They did. They the the, the Bomba Squad was the the most prolific home run hitting team in baseball history in 2019. So you were ne- you were never going to like fully replicate that. In in the last year was a shortened season, so it's it's just tough. Like sometimes guys get you, you need a full season to really gauge, sure. you know, uh, you know, uh, an offensive output. But sure. the Twins last year, offensively, just just in terms of runs per game, were like twentieth. Uh, I think they were top five in runs per game uh, when they were the Bomba Squad. So they were a below average offensive unit last year. They were twentieth in runs. And then to this point, again, small sample size, the season, we're not even through April yet, but uh, the, the Twins to this point this year, mm-hmm. uh, even though they've been scoring some runs, it's been very top-heavy. Like, they've had, they've had a couple big run games, and they've had a couple, like, guys off to hot starts, but it's, it's only, like, four guys in the lineup that are really off to hot starts, right? right? So here's my question for you guys. How many hitters in this lineup are you, like, 100% sure can hit? can hit at a high level throughout the course of the season? Because I think it's four. Yeah, let's go through it. It's Donaldson. Donaldson can, and for then, sure. And by the way. And Cruz. Does, you don't know if he's going to be on the field. Sure, but, but I mean, he can if Cruz. he's playing Cruz. Yep. Buxton, and you don't know if he's going to be on the field, unfortunately. Yeah, and I actually need to see an extended period of time to make the statement that you just made. And that's fine. I'm good on it. I think he's... okay. I think he has found something, and we've seen him when, like last year, when healthy, he was getting on yep. base all the time. Not getting on base, but hitting for power and stuff. Yep. Uh, and then Luis Arise. I'm good. I'm good on Luis Arise. I trust him offensively. He can make contact, et cetera. Besides those four guys, is there anybody else right now? And I don't. I, and I don't want to hear like, well, Ryan Jeffers got hot for a couple no. weeks, or like Mitch Garver hit 30 bombs when the ball was. But Max Kepler against Trevor hit. Bauer. <laughs> oh wait, Trevor Bauer's with the Dodgers now. You're not going to get to face him uh, five times per year. Is there anybody else on the team that you would say, oh, no, you're forgetting about, like, this guy for sure can mash. Not has mashed once in the past two years ago, but, like, that's going to pop up and be a steady force. Because I I worry about, like, for sure, Sano. I worry that that Kepler has had basically one good offensive year in his career to this point. He's 28. Um. My God, I mean, Come on, Jake Jorge Cave. Blanco's had one Come, really good year. <laughs> Divin Jake Cave, who's playing the, all the time now. You look at this lineup fully healthy, and you think back to the one that we saw a couple years ago, and you're like, oh, yeah, on paper, this is a great lineup. But the reality is a lot of these guys have come nowhere near replicating their one big year. And it's 
a little unsettling if you look at this offense on paper now. I looked it up. Am I, am I overreacting? No, you're exactly right. I I did the research and have the right side of the Twins infield for you at the plate this season. Oh, goody. <laughs> Miguel Sano and Jorge Polanco. 14 hits, 97 at-bats. They are, by, they are batting a combined 144 with two home runs, both by Sano and a combined 10 runs. Over there. We're going to win, Twins. We're going to score. Baseball 2021. Not supposed to be like that. Man. Yeah, that's pretty rough. I'm, that's pretty rough. I'm still a little... <laughs> I'm not sounding the alarm yet on Max Kepler. Um, I still think he has a decent eye at the plate. He can take some walks here and there. The The thing is, is in 2019, he finally figured out how to hit a lefty, right? Like, before then, he was unplayable against left-handed pitching. Just yeah. terrible against it. And ever since... And last year, he reverted back to his old cycle... If he can just be like league average against left-handed pitching, because I know he can mash righties. He can absolutely mash righties. But he can take a walk. He has a good eye at the plate. His hard hit rate's still pretty dang good this year. I'm not sounding the alarm on him completely yet. Um, But that still doesn't mean that, like, I look at him as a perennial all-star or, like, this guy would be a five-hitter in every lineup in baseball. He probably wouldn't be. Uh, But it, it is interesting going back from the 2019 Bomba squad and looking at the juice ball and also getting just like a, a ton of false hope. Like it gave us a ton so, of false hope. I'm glad you brought up hard hit rate. I mean, we, we need the nerd sounder just for these baseball discussions here. Uh, because Get those nerds! Nerd! Nerd! Max Kepler has a 47% hard hit rate so far this year, which is really good. The problem is about half of the batted balls he hits are ground balls. So he's got... He's got a ground ball problem. He's killing killing a lot of worms. Like you can hit this is and this is the issue with hitting ground balls, and especially if you're a left-handed hitter, you're a pull hitter. Like you can hit all the hard ground balls you want. You're hitting it right into four infielders on the right side of second base. So that's what you see a lot of. He'll hit. Oh, that's a hard ground ball to the right side that 20 years ago would have gone through for a hit, and now it's like there's two dudes fighting over fielding that ground ball now because they've scouted him so perfectly. Mm-hmm. So he's got to, he's got to elevate the ball more. And he's, it's almost like he's completely gotten away from hitting towering fly balls. But I don't know. I'm going to go down a, a path that I absolutely deplore going down, but I, I feel the question needs to, to be asked now because we are into the start of the second year without this guy. And they clearly had success with him. Is there something to the fact that the twins miss James Rousen, who was their mm-hmm. hit, hitting coach two years ago, they had great success, and the ball was juice. So I'm not trying. Like I, I know that in 2019, the baseball left the yard, and now it might not. But is there something to the dynamic that it feels like a really um, decent amount of guys have seen a decrease in their production with his? exit to um, Florida. Yeah, I mean, yes, I think he was was widely regarded as a great hitting coach, but at the same time, what I don't understand is it's not like everything he taught those hitters just goes away when he goes away. Yeah. You know, do they not have, like, logs of when they make swing tweaks with players? Are they not keeping information on, okay, so with Max, we focused on this, this, and this. This was James's advice was this, this, and this. It's not like James Rouse is out there like uh, 
you know, like Chubbs and Happy Gilmore standing behind the hitters. Like, Do you know that for a fact? All in the hips. Do you it's know that he wasn't out the there? <laughs> Do you know that he yes. didn't have a fake okay. hand? Because he's in the tension. Bring the bat. Bring the bat back, and we're gonna swing it this way. Do you know like, that? Do you know these things didn't take place at Target Field? Were you there? Can't confirm. Okay. I, I confirm. mean, Rousen perhaps had the Chubbs thing going. You don't know, but it, it just see it seems odd that that. There's a lot of guys who have had a decline that feels statistically very significant. Yeah. No, I, yeah, it's definitely I, when you lose a good coach and someone who connects with players, then, yeah, I think it, it makes a difference. You see sometimes when offensive coordinators will leave a team and sure. a new guy comes in, we're going to run the same system. Well, why is the offense going from third to 18th or something, right? Mm-hmm. Hopefully that's not foreshadowing for the Vikings this oh. year. Could be, I guess. But, uh, yeah, oh, that's your talking twins for the day here. <laughs> right side of the infield, can't really hit, struggling all summer. Watch Diving Jake. Oh, Diving Jake. Dive yeah, you guys did a deep dive into Diving Jake. I feel like we, we should talk about Monday this episode. on uh, down the road a bit now. If Jake Cave continues to play this much, it's worth exploring. What, exploring, talking exploring more about Exploring why he's, Cave? yes, why he is, is playing so much. Is he the Victor Rask of the Twins? You know what, he's actually, he might be. Uh, he, he, ha- he has some Rasconian to him, but I think he's, a- <laughs> but I think he's actually worse. I think he's actually well, a worse player he, than Rask the, 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 the difference is the Wild, there aren't like immediate superstar replacements for him. Mm-hmm. Alex Kirloff just hit a home run on the first pitch of a sim game yesterday in St. Paul, like, that dude will be up and play regularly at some point in the next two weeks. So you're not going to have to complain about J.K. for too much longer, fortunately. I heard that home run, though. I heard this, okay? I heard the pine tar on the bat was off by quite a bit. And, like, they're like, gotta make we, some adjustments. we can't call you up until you know how to accurately Boy. apply the pine tar. Oh, I, I mean, heard that, his that, secondary leads... After he hits a towering double off the fence in left center, I heard his secondary leads are lacking at second base. Yeah, he's just not getting that extra same, step. Same thing gotta, coming to me. Got to work on that. Yeah. So, all right, um, we're gonna have to. I, I wanted to. I wanted to talk some um, some uh, old Macadac around the house. I've got some uh, some some around the house updates for you guys involving grilling, but I think we should save that maybe for uh, tomorrow's show. Don't bring your place pretty down. Long I hate to see you bring your place down already. Let's just say that I am 35 years old and I am now being domesticated for the first time, and I am now figuring out how to use a gas grill, really, for the oh, first time. Oh, oh, no. Excited. Oh, boy. Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to be a grill master. I'm going to be a grill master. I'm 51. Right. I don't get near a gas grill. The air fryer, man, it's, it's clutch. It's Dawn lights that That's, thing. If, I, it's a home grill. I ain't, I ain't going to blow myself up. Uh-uh. <laughs> air fryers are I love how you just put your wife at risk with everything that She's might not be at risk. She knows how to do it. I don't. She's a trained professional. Her dad grilled, so she knows how to grill. <laughs> my old man, man of the my house. old man charcoal, and I ain't doing charcoal. Oh, I love. Charcoal. See, I don't want to wind up being Judd and be in my fifties and having never lit a gas grill before. So matches. We'll do. We'll do a breakdown. Full disclosure: matches scare me. <laughs> you don't need matches to light a gas grill. Oh, you can if it's not working right. Dawn throws <laughs> yeah. the match yeah, in there. We, we, we've, done, we've done that for in my house. I bail. Use the, as a kid. use the can. Use like a candle lighter. She does that too. I bail. Yeah, I all of it no, makes Don, me go to the other side of the house. Good on Don. I, I applaud Don. I applaud Don. Judd, just just all you have to do is just pour a little little few drops of gasoline on top. Yeah. That's all you have to do. No, no. Keep it close to the house. You just want to make sure it's nobody's hug, getting anywhere near gasoline. 
All right, that's a wrap on today's Mackie Jet. Tomorrow, write that down, predictions, and an accountability session. Uh, mostly us just making fun of each other for how wrong we are on a regular <laughs> basis. And daily Vikings discussions on Purple Daily. Scorenorth.com and the Scorenorth app, Central Hub, for everything we do. We'll see you guys tomorrow.